Hello, and welcome to Film Bites, the podcast where a lad and his dad talk about films they've just watched. I'm Jack, the lad. And I'm Andy, the dad. We're here to share our thoughts on the latest movies, classic favourites, and everything in between. From blockbuster hits to indie gems, we'll give you our take on what's worth watching and what's not. So grab your popcorn, get comfortable, and join us for some movie talk. Let's roll the intro music and get started. Something lurks off the coast of Block Island, silently influencing the behaviour of fisherman Tom Lynch. After suffering a series of violent outbursts, he unknowingly puts his family in grave danger. And that is the premise to The Block Island Sound, a film that uh, we've only been introduced to quite recently. In fact, it was a recommendation from one of my friends on Facebook. And I'm really quite pleased that that recommendation was put there. Mm. A skillful, skillful piece of writing, and just wow! Mm. It did more in its short time than some of the blockbusters like Jordan Peele's Nope. Agree with that, yeah. And let, let's let's go back to where this actually sort of comes from. It's science fiction, but it's science fiction that's intelligent. Yes, it doesn't rely on big bumps and wild flashy lights to draw you into this this quite unique story. It feels familiar but unusual at the same time. They reminded me of uh, an indie film called The Signal, uh, not necessarily because of the same premise to the story but just because of the, the way in which the story evolves. And we've got quite an unknown cast. Yes. What did you think? I thought it was quite eerie, and I think sometimes with an eerie atmosphere it can either land very well or not at all. And in this particular case, I think it was done very well. Again, as you say, I've never heard this film until the recommendation, and I'm glad we've looked into it, because there's something remarkable about it in its ideas, I, th- I found. it's It kind of reminds me of a Lovecraftian story, ironically. I believe the story is called The Shadow of Rinsmus. And that portrayed a story of fishermen, a fish town with huts, and then the overall belief of something that is a hierarchy, if you will, with this Lovecraftian creature. But that's the story of Shadow of Rinsmith. This is something completely different, but it almost feels very similar with a lot of elements, if you will. Yeah, I mean, it, it's an existential kind of unraveling plot that, that takes its time to tell you what it's actually about but it does it in this very simple pacing mm. slowly building to each part of the story we've got acting performances from Chris Sheffield as Harry who plays the son in this and I think he just believed the journey that he goes oh, yes. he starts out and obviously sees his dad who from our perspective is going crazy sleepwalking yeah, and missing elements of time and not recognising what he's doing. And that becomes more and more disturbing in itself. Well, it's, it, again, it, there's very little 
makeup involved, but it just looks so disturbing what happens to it. And then I think, you, you, again, it's just that, that slowly, sen that sense of, I don't really know what's happening. But you are hooked by it as well. That yeah. sense of not knowing draws you in further, which in and itself was almost the theme of the movie. Mm. I mean, it's from 2020, which, as, as we all know, the, mm. the world kind of stopped in 2020 with the pandemic and everything. And this probably is a little bit reflective of what happened at that time. Only all the dead fish on the shore, all the birds dying in the sky. And that sense of isolationism that uh, Block Island actually gives you, mm. I think it's it's probably, if not born out of that, it would certainly have been aided by it when it was actually filmed. Definitely. And I think, yeah, this this is one of those movies that's that slight simple in experience. It's not going to be for everybody. It's, this isn't a um, a thumping horror or anything like that. This is supernatural in tone, and it really just different and it's the kind of film that we we don't see that often it certainly isn't um led by budget it's led by people that clearly wanted to be involved in the project yeah. the directors the McManus brothers i think they're going to be ones to watch because if they can pull out something effective like this on a on a shoestring budget then they can pull out something even better with a few more quid in the bank i agree with that so from my perspective, I think if you've got an opportunity for an hour and 40 minutes with your Netflix account, you like your psychological, slightly unnerving stories on a slow burn basis, then this film is definitely for you. Completely agree. Haunted Magazine is a publication dedicated to all things paranormal and spooky. Each issue features articles, interviews, and stories about ghosts, hauntings, and other unexplained phenomena. The magazine also covers topics such as cryptozoology, UFOs, and other aspects of the supernatural. Expect to find in-depth investigations of haunted locations, first-hand accounts of ghostly encounters, and reports of paranormal events and attractions. The magazine also includes features on the latest ghost hunting technology and techniques, as well as tips for those looking to search the supernatural on their own. Issue 37, The Frights of Spring, will be in stores from March 6. So remember, don't be normal. Be paranormal, and order your copy today. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Well... To be fair, 40 years ago, <laughs> which was the first time that I actually went to the cinema to see Star Wars Return of the Jedi. Yes. God, I feel like an old man. Yeah, you were nine. <laughs> but it's, it was just a real privilege to see it again at the cinema. I'm so glad that they decided to put this out for the 40th anniversary because it's special. You've obviously grown up with my fandom yes. of Star Wars. <laughs> so you could call it brainwashing if you like. Work done. This is the first time you've obviously seen this film. Yes. On the big, big screen. screen. And it was a big, big screen. It was a very big, big screen. <laughs> very big, big noises. So X plus. Indeed. Thought. Biggest screen. And again, I'm, I'm sorry, but I've just got to say this. The John Williams scores. I had chills. I had goosebumps. 
and I felt emotional. Every single piece of music conducted by that man, that legend, is just glorious. And to hear it on the big screen, it was just so powerful. And alongside that, Return of the Jedi, I would call it a masterpiece from George Lucas. It's not, out of the three, the best masterpiece. But it is still a masterpiece. And the visuals are spectacular. The music is glorious. And the storytelling is fantastic. I think it. What's, what's so lovely about this is it was, it was a conclusion, but it was also for a lot of the new stuff that's out now a stepping off point yeah. in many ways. There are obvious differences to what I saw originally, yes, which were were done for the the Blu-rays and stuff that came out in, in the noughties. I don't feel like they detracted, from the story at all, but they were enhanced. Now the whole experience of a Star Wars film in the cinema for me, growing up was hearing the 20th Century Fox anthem, mm. the searchlights and everything. And that, that for me, was the start, regardless of what film I was going to see, I always thought of Star Wars yes. when that kicked in. So when those Blu-rays came about and they did splits and it was Lucasfilm, I thought that, that my heart sort of sunk when it was just the Lucasfilm logo. Just the LucasArts, and then you go straight into the intro, which is still nice, but you, you miss those searchlights and that amazing intro. But seeing it, restored mm. and seeing that back at the beginning of this just goosebumps i mean before we even went in we were discussing teasing they'll do it like we were hoping for it because i remember seeing on the dvds that i was watching on that there was the 20th century fox and then it was the lucas arts and then it was your intro yeah and it was it's just special special just having that on the screen so all the hackers were up you can get a long time ago, ten galaxies so far, far away, yeah. and then you're in. You've got the opening crawl. The crawl gives you the background to the story that they're about to tell. We ended Empire Strikes Back on a heavy low note. Yeah, it was it dull. was it was a real downbeat, which for this kind of movie for this kind of audience was quite shocking at the mm-hmm. time. It's something that they continue to do in a lot of their own projects now. Yeah, but when this was first time round, that was unheard of. I mean, not just that. I, I think nowadays the Empire Strikes Back film that we referred to is Infinity War. We had this big downbeat ending which left our heroes in a situation that was so, oh, we lost. Yeah. And then we had to wait a whole year for it. But people in the 1980s, particularly bang on 1980 for the Empire Strikes Back, they had to wait three years for the sequel to arrive and to answer all these questions like, will Darth Vader turn good? What is this emperor that we keep seeing every now and then? Who is Boba Fett? And that had a great delivery in the end, didn't it? <laughs> um, and will Luke turn? Will he become Sith? Will he become the emperor? Because there was hints of even the fights in Dagobah, that potentially Vader behind the mask is just an evil Luke. Luke could become his own father. And that was so many interesting questions being flown about. And, you know, we had people back then had parades. There was entire queues of just Darth Vader in the streets with Boba Fett and the stormtroopers and the Imperial March and everything of the sort. It was just a big glorified event that was just so fantastic. At the time, Star Wars was an absolutely massive deal because... It was the first time in a long time that there had been some kind of event cinema. I mean, it came out of nowhere and just went skyrocketed. 
But what what was more important, you have grown up in an age of DVDs, Blu-rays, and ultimately streaming, yeah. where everything's kind of available on tap. But in that period of time, in the UK, you only had, at one point, three channels. Yeah. And for a movie like Star Wars, it was nearly three years, I think, after it had been in the cinema that it hit the television. And that was a massive deal. Yeah. I mean, I remember at the time, my dad recording on cassette all of the soundtrack of it because we didn't have video. Yeah. <laughs> it was just before the video had started to come about. So, and yes, that was piracy and totally illegal. But, <laughs> but you had to find it your own way. But you really didn't have any other opportunity yeah. to do it. I mean, there were like little storybook versions of it and tapes and all that kind of stuff, but it wasn't the whole movie. No. So you had Star Wars, Empire, and then this, this being one of the first films I saw in, in the cinema. And it, oh, it's just something that captures your imagination. By this point, it was all the toys. Yes. Toys galore. There was every single iteration of toy oh, God, available. But more importantly, this story is a lot more episodic. It tells the first chunk to try and get you back from where you ended off at Empire. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the exposition of this story really quite changes quite a lot throughout. And that's quite bold for this kind of, what was effect effectively a, a Saturday morning picture so film yeah. with a, a massive budget because of, of all the advances that Lucas made. The action sequences in this, I always remember at the time, were, were a step up each time from the movies. But what was interesting watching this 40th anniversary, I personally think, and it might just be the projector, yeah. it might just be the screening that we saw it in, but the colour grading, especially of the new bits with the CGI that had been added in Jabba's Palace and also later on in the film, really felt like it had been toned down a little bit to make it sit better in the film. Yeah, so a bit more what it should look like, not an, um, not like this vibrance that just almost felt off with the shadows as well that was kind of in the background. Yeah, I mean, we, we checked it versus what's on Disney+. Plus. Yes. And the Disney Plus version is, is clearly a a lot more noticeable. Yes. You do feel like there are CGI scenes that were added in. But in the cinema, I, I really felt in big chunks of the film that it was almost... It was as though yeah. they really could have fitted this in. There was definitely noticeable improvements, and I think it was just through simple gradients and detailing that it might have been almost soothed out a bit, if that makes sense. I mean, yeah. just, it's, it looks better in the way in which it's done. Definitely. What was also nice about this screening was that in an audience that was pretty jam-packed with people, there was a lot of courtesy and respect going on. Which I absolutely love. I mean, considering previous experiences with stuff like horror films, I find that with fandoms and certain values of what people watch, with Star Wars, because it's such a big deal, and this is the 40th anniversary, so there are people from the 1980s that watched all the way back in 77, A New Hope. These are people that have been devoted fans since the very beginning, and there are entire generations that would love to watch this film. I mean, there are people that have watched episodes one, two, and three. I myself was born around those times where the DVDs were out, and I could watch them from that order if I wanted to, but I was raised four, five, six, one, two, three, just for that purpose. Yeah. But there are entire generations now that have seen the spin-offs, such as The Mandalorian, that continues 
I think effectively almost right after the events of Return of the Jedi, probably more like a few months, maybe a year. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, if you go into the canon of it, oh, I think it's a couple of years. A couple of years. Yeah. And then it obviously in Mandalorian itself, there's a couple of year gap for yes. Rosu to get trained. And yes, we're nerds. We love it. <laughs> we're not going to apologize for it. We love our sci-fi. And, and this is, is basically one of these journeys that this takes you on. And I'm not going to apologize for that. I absolutely love the world that they've created and continue to see the love that evolves in. We were, we were at Star Wars Celebration recently, and you can tell the people behind this, they want the best. Oh, yeah. And it might not come across all the time on screen, but definitely the passion that's behind it is it's just unquestionable. Mm. So this, this film, then, it's really the redemption of Anakin. Yes, yeah. throughout the Skywalker saga. I mean, you obviously watched it in a different order growing up. Well, I did watch 4, 5, 6, 1, 2, 3, but I already had a certain knowledge of Anakin, but not so much being the father. I, I already knew of an Anakin Skywalker, and I already knew that he was in this time of the Republic versus the Separatists because of shows like The Clone Wars. So I didn't realise that he was Darth Vader at the time, so it still came as a very big shock that this sly, this confident, cocky Jedi that's raising his apprentice, Ahsoka, which is added onto the canon, that he was a Sith Lord in the end. Well, not in the end as such, but he became a Sith Lord. manifested such no seriety. It was crazy to me. It was just, whoa. But yeah, uh, even with that order, with stuff like Darth Vader in particular, I was scared of him in full black. He is a machine, and he's not just a machine, he's a killing machine, mm-hmm. um, which, just got to add this on, Rogue One showed off beautifully that he was a killing machine, and he should be shown that way if you're going to do anything with Darth Vader ever in the future as well. Yeah. So, this was only in cinemas for this bank holiday weekend. Mm. Which is a bit sad, really, because it would be nice to give these a full running out where we have Star Wars, Empire, Mm. this one. They've got an opportunity now to add effects a little bit more subtly. Yes. Clean up certain parts of these films now because some of there were sequences in this that do show their age. I think where we have the ships in space and you can see that they've been on glass and then projected to speak to the camera. You can see that now the the technology is really advanced to a point where we don't... That could be corrected and that could look a bit more realistic. But to counter your point there, there are some people, which I even do agree with, that would like it to be in the kind of pristine condition of it being what it was. So the Death Star, for example, as a prime example of, in my opinion, an unnecessary edit. The explosion of A New Hope has a weird ring around this right and i know that the version before it was just a normal explosion with some sparks added onto it very much so and i prefer that i've seen both versions and i always think why was there a ring i understand there's like this kind of arc in the middle where it causes this giant generator explosion but i'm more of a preferer of the 77 cut in that particular instance i think they they did take a few liberties with the Star Wars A New Hope when they did bring it out again but I, I really felt the majority of it 
was very worthwhile. Oh, yeah. Getting Jabber in there in the first one was, was quite good. Mm. Where it did look a little bit janky was some of the shots going into... Uh, yeah, and the particular arc of the Death Star, the tunnels, if you will. Yeah, um, they, they didn't really correct those as, as nicely as they could have done. But, you know, the, the good thing is that Lucas was able to tinker with the way that he wanted to tinker yes. with these films. God, I love this this film. It was just, uh, just great to be back in the cinema watching Star Wars. So, if you do get the opportunity, or if... if I don't know if it was just our eyes, but if if you do get the opportunity to see this cut of the film, heartily recommend it. Have a bit of a Star Wars marathon. Get yourself started. Watch it in the correct order. Yes. Do four, five, six first, then one, two, three, and then you can start toying with whatever comes next. Yes. Um, you know that Rogue Squadron is still one of my out-and-out favourite Star Wars movies. I will correct you on that, Rogue One. <laughs> I need to get some sleep. No, honestly, it's fine. We've all done it. But uh, no, from my perspective, I, I really enjoyed going back to the cinema to see this. How about you? I honestly think it is an epic journey that ends a perfect trilogy. I know that people will disagree with certain aspects of the final lap, of the final part because let's be honest, this is the culmination of two incredible movies you've got the incredible setup with star wars i guess a new hope but it was it was star wars um where you've built up this young boy on a on a farm in a desert and you're seeing his journey throughout and this build to him becoming what you think is at first a jedi and then oh he's actually having struggles there are potential factors here that could turn him to the dark and the beauty of the costume design with Luke throughout each episode as well is he's wearing white in episode four, he's wearing grey in episode five, and he's wearing all black in episode six. So you think this turn has already happened. And then in the final fight with Vader and the final fight with the Emperor to basically take control of the galaxy finally, at last, this black outfit then has the flap on his top half revealed that there is still white and grey beneath that he is still the light and he is the last of the Jedi and he will fight for what he thinks is right he throws his lightsaber on the ground and he says I am a Jedi like my father before me and that is such a beautifully done beautifully executed I should say line uh, from Mark Hamill I've seen that on DVD so many times and it hits so differently in cinemas it was magical. And everything on the big screen just made this experience so much more spectacular. And it's interesting to see how well this has done Ooh. over this four-day break because I don't think even Disney would have been aware just how popular this was going to be. Was it? I think it was $5 million at the box office for a film that's 40 years old, 40 years old yeah. with very limited publicity to say that it was coming out to do this. Very short period of time, Crackerjack. That's exactly what we should have. Yeah. I really, really genuinely hope that they reconsider putting all of these out again. I agree. So that you can follow the Skywalker saga in cinema. all the way in cinema. Yeah. And I think that should go for one, two, and three. Yes, they are not the perfect trilogy. There is some lines that are 
lacking in particular. I mean, we've said this over the years. You, no one says you'd pee. No one says you'd pee when they're in the middle of a fight. But that Star Warsiness aside, because that's what it is. The dialogue is Lucas, and that's fine. We know that it's taking you on this this epic story. But yeah, there are some decisions that didn't really come off that well. You have to say the clone army is pretty suspect. Yeah. They they <laughs> And you have to say that the uh romance between Anakin and Padme I that's also a little bit suspect. Awkward, but also I'm trying to think that Padme is a princess at this point that's like fourteen, I think, in in for the Phantom Menace. Anakin's nine. And I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm overthinking it, but there are certain elements that's very creepy about Anakin in episode two as well. I do have a nick for name for him, but I don't think it's appropriate for this podcast. That's not. <laughs> um, but I think the thing that brings it all together, like Return of the Jedi, is Revenge of the Sith. That is a nice culmination to what we have just seen. And I think Phantom Menace is an underappreciated film as well. I mean, we went into it. Darth Maul was the best part. And you kind of came out thinking, mm, well, that was a bit messy, but Darth Maul and Qui-Gon was the best part. Shane Qui-Gon, such and such. I don't want to... Well, I mean, it's a film that's old now, but the Qui-Gon passing was a big part of the story that moved Anakin and Obi-Wan together. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you a person that has defined a lot of Star Wars, and I think people should appreciate is Dave Filoni, when talking about the Phantom Menace, if you find the, I think it's season one behind the scenes of Mandalorian, so check out Mandalorian, obviously. But if you check out the behind the scenes of him talking about the Phantom Menace, it made me want to rewatch the prequels. Yeah. And I think just with that alone, the prequels have become a massive part of our culture now. It's become very um, heavily memed with these online jokes, but it's also become a very big part of our culture in terms of the characters in terms of the story arcs in terms of animated shows that have spawned from it as well such as the clone wars so to think that this original trilogy has spawned entirely new ones such as the prequels such as the sequels such as these spin-offs that are solo rogue one which i think rogue one is on the par if not better and i will say that now than Empire. I think there's just so many elements to it that feels human, and that is what's so fabulous. My favourite is it's a war film at the end of the day, yeah. it's a war film well told with fantastic special effects. Absolutely. And it's, it's assets that you've seen in other pictures from, from the franchise, hmm. but that really brought to life. Yes. So you do have your Death Star, you do have uh, Atats and all that kind of thing going off. You've also got that relationship of law yes. with the Force. And a bunch of new people that we know we ain't going to see them after that film. And it's just so well explored. And obviously the series Andor, which is set before Rogue One, the first series of that, you can see that, again, it ties in so beautifully into the whole story. Mm. It's a a fantastic thing that Filoni, Favreau and their teams are putting together. Yes. And I, I just can't wait to see where it goes next. I agree. If anything, I think Return of the Jedi is a perfect culmination to a spectacular, absolutely brilliant trilogy. And like I say, whilst there are certain elements like Boba 
I mean, you've had this massive build-up of three years where fans are going crazy about, who's this bounty hunter? Whoa, this is amazing. And then just to have him bonked on the back with a stick, and then he flies into a star like that with a burp. Yeah. There's it, there's weird choices. It but... was weirdly comedic <laughs> for a character that was boss level, wasn't yeah, it? He, he was, I guess what the term is, MVP yeah. nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> I sound so old saying that as well. But he was one of the best characters in Empire, and then you just get rid of him like that. But I don't. Exactly <laughs> that. It's just, wow. I guess that's it. We know the weird choice of the Ewoks was down to merchandise. Because let's be honest, we know it was meant to be Wookiees. But then it was not only too expensive for Wookiees and not really interesting because we've already got a giant Wookiee that everyone loves being Chewbacca. We had the Ewoks, which are these cuddly teddy bears, let's be honest. And I mean, even the way in which Leia first meets Wong is so childish, but lovable at the same time. But yes, it's a weird choice, but it appeals to the kids. And even me at 19 years old still loves the adorable fuzzballs. But yeah, <laughs> they're, they're just great characters. And yes, you can probably argue that there are so many characters that have fought, that have fought the Empire and have lost. And then you just see these furry animals. These little bears. Beat, yeah, these little bears just beat them. With sticks and rocks and pretty much tribal stuff that's around the primitive, yeah. It it it's a weird choice, but at the end of the day, I love that choice because it's so Star Wars, and that's something that we have seen for the future as well. So, I think that's going to conclude our yes. roundup. We've rambled on around Star Wars <laughs> and Return of the Jedi. It was a real real privilege to see this again in the cinema, and if it does come out again, I would urge you to take yourself and your family and and. Just enjoy the ride once more. Mm. Just like to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. Please do subscribe if you like what we're doing, and we'll see you next time. Bye bye. <laughs>